Amen. Thank you, teens. Appreciate the kids singing earlier. Sound guys might appreciate it if I turn a mic on. All good things. Lots to appreciate. I enjoy this time of year. Hope you've had a good Thanksgiving with family. We've gotten to travel a good bit. We were in Pennsylvania, left on Wednesday morning, went up to PA for uh, about a day and a half, got to see my family, got to run with my dad. They, uh, my part of the Lundies, they're doing a turkey trot, uh, doing the, the 5K. Addison got to run the, the one-mile fun run, her first ever time being in a race, so she enjoyed that and got to run with my dad. Don't get to do that often anymore. And then uh, spent Thursday night at home, got a little bit of extra sleep in our beds maybe, and then uh, Friday and Saturday with uh, Jen's, parent, Jen's family, Jen's mom at Mima's Christmas, as she calls it. Uh, had family from New York to Florida and in between, so that was, uh, that was a blessing. And uh, just God was so good to us. Uh, traveled 81 a whole lot and barely got into any traffic. Some of you know how much of a miracle that is. And uh, just uh, so thankful for family, so thankful to be back at our church, but uh, so thankful for all God did for us. I'm sure we could take until midnight and uh, thank God for everything that we could think of and we'd only be scratching the surface, but uh, we won't do that. Don't worry. It won't take that long. I'm thankful that our church does the, the praise service there the week of Thanksgiving. That really is one of my favorite services of the year, every year. I hope you enjoyed getting to meet. Uh, those of you who are up here on Wednesdays, or maybe just uh, aren't able to make it on Wednesdays, got to meet some of our kids and teens that many of us get to see week in and week out on Wednesdays, but they only come on Wednesdays, some of them. And as much as we want them to come to every service, I'm so thankful that we get the opportunity to pour into these teens and into the kids, so many workers, and share the gospel with them, see them saved. The impact is at VBS a lot, but so often it's way beyond that. It's a weekly thing. So pray for our ministry. And uh, man, there's just a lot of good things happening with the kids workers and so many with the teens workers and just a lot of great things. And they're some of our favorite people, those of us who get to work with them. And I'm glad many of you got to meet them. And uh, just a great, a great time. I'm glad you could uh, come on out there. Appreciate Pastor John having that service and uh, having this service as well. Um, tonight, I hope you can stay for at least a few minutes afterward. I don't care if charades isn't your thing. You can come to laugh at teens. I'll probably end up up front trying to act something out. So you can come and laugh at me too. That's fine. We won't embarrass you. But... It's easy for church to become nothing but the four services, but it's meant to be so much more. Now, you might be like, okay, Pastor Ken, I don't know that it's meant to be charades. Yeah, you could, you could win that argument pretty easily, but it is meant to be time together, supporting one another, growing relationships, gathering around, of course, prioritizing the preaching of the word of God, of course, prioritizing worshiping God, of course, spending time in prayer, but also spending time together. And this is just an excuse to spend time together. If you're like, well, I can think of a way better game than charades, share it with me. We might play it the next time. I'm all for it. But uh, we've got some hot apple cider, some really good homemade hot chocolate, and uh, some cookies. And I'm not even sure what all goodies are down there, but there's going to be plenty of good stuff. Again, feel free to just come, grab a cup of, cup of something, and, and just sip it, and just hang out with us for a little bit. I hope you'll be able to just join us even for a few, because we love you guys. Appreciate it. I love these times where it's kids, teens, and adults in this service, and then that kids, teens, and adults in that activity. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Some things, man, adults, that needs to be an adult's activity. That needs to be a kid's activity. That's for just teens. But it's nice when we can do things together. I enjoy that. Anyway, as we start to move toward the message, I've heard two great pieces of advice for preachers as, as we would get ready to preach. But I think they apply to all of us. 
as we get ready to hear a sermon. First one is exalt God, make much of God. And I hope I do that in every sermon. I definitely want to. And I think that was the request I made of each of you uh, the other Sunday morning when I preached, uh, was that we would remember that he's a big God and make much of God. But the second piece of advice is to find yourself in every message, to see how it fits you, see how it applies to you. And really, I don't feel prepared to preach a message until I've seen how it applies specifically to me. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of times when I preach, it's something that God kind of walloped me up over the head with and uh, wanted me to share that lesson with some other people or something that he convicted me about, something that he worked on my heart. But sometimes it's just a text of scripture. It's a topic that God lays on my heart. And I don't see immediately how it applies to me. And I'm maybe ready to preach it to the teens or to y'all or to somebody else. And I have to stop and think, okay, this isn't just for them. This is for me. Where do I see myself? I hope you'll listen to this message. It will be in 1 Peter 1. If you want to start turning there, feel free. But I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and an open mind. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you make much of God and to help you see where you fit into this message. Looking at a message entitled Reality Check from 1 Peter 1. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes the term reality check like, can be almost a mean statement. Hey, you really need a reality check. You better check yourself. You're off. But I don't mean it like that at all. This is where we get to look at what really is true from God's word, what he really does say about us, and see how it fits our lives. So this is an encouraging thought. 1 Peter 1 offers some great advice. We're going to jump into the middle for just a moment. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober or serious, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So get busy, get hopeful, get serious. Verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, so act like Christians, live out, act like Jesus. Verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Tall order. Big deal. And we're going to spend the rest of the message going back to the beginning of 1 Peter 1, as it gives us some great reminders about who we are in Christ, some great reality check things that can help us to know how in the world we can do that. Have you ever put on a pair of VR glasses? I thought about bringing a pair up here, but there's a picture of them for you at least. You ever, you ever do the whole VR thing? Anybody over the age of, no, I won't even go there, but uh, anybody, you don't have to admit this, but anybody taking it a little too far and you got these glasses, it looks like you're playing a sport or it looks like you're somewhere else and you hurt yourself or broke something or you don't want us to see that one wall in your living room because there's a hole in it about the size of your knee where you clumsily ran into it. I'm clumsy enough without virtual reality glasses on, so I try to keep them off, but the girls did last Christmas get... Um, a pretty cool present. Um, you can look around. You put the glasses on with your phone in there, and you can look around, and all of a sudden, you're at, you know, the Hoover Dam, and you're looking out, down at it, and it looks, I mean, it's really real. It's, it's like it's right there, and it's just really cool. Some people get a whole lot too into the whole virtual reality thing, take it a little too seriously, but really, virtual reality, it's not real. For us, the ultimate reality is who we are in Jesus, who God made us to be, who he says we are. So for us, we're not putting the virtual reality glasses on when we open the Bible. We're looking at reality when we look at the Bible. So much of this around us is nothing more than a distraction. I think some people want a momentary escape from reality, so they put on the VR glasses. And they're like, okay, I can just relax. I'm in Paris. I'm at the beach or wherever they want to be. 
but so often VR glasses, they're a distraction from what really matters. They're not what really matters. But this life, with all of its ups and downs, highs and lows, that's what can so often distract us from what really matters, from our true reality, our eternal destiny, which is in Christ. So a lot of people would say, oh, you foolish Christians, stop putting on your, your fake VR glasses and reading the Bible. No, no, no. We have to take our reality glasses off or even look through our reality glasses as we look at the world. They're, they're not virtual reality. This is all what doesn't matter as much. God is the one who matters so much. So for us, let's have a reality check. Let's look at what we're more focused on. I like the expression. I don't remember what company had this. It was years ago. But uh, not just reality actuality. And I don't know how they wanted to apply that to their company, but they wanted you to say, this isn't just real, this is actual in your life. And that's how we need it to be. We remember who we are in Christ, who we are to Jesus, that that's our true identity, our true reality, who we really are, and what reality is really all about. It's not everything here. And have that be an actuality in practice in our daily lives. Man, we can keep going through this, whatever this is, whatever might be difficult at work or at home or in our country or in our world. We can get through this because we know that is what's coming. And even right now, in the middle of all of this, whatever maybe you're dealing with, we are all of that in Jesus and to Jesus. Let's pray, and we're going to look at some quick reminders as we give ourselves a reality check. Where are we most focused? Are we letting this life that's almost like a pair of VR glasses, are we letting that distract us from the reality of who we are in Christ? Or are we focused on what matters most? Are we focused on what really is reality? Because really what we see every day with our eyes, it's not what matters most. Our true reality should affect what we see and how we live our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our true reality in you. If we have you as our Savior, we're on our way to heaven for all of eternity. You've given us purpose and hope and meaning and salvation, and identity. May we bring that to our everyday lives. May we look through our lives with reality lenses, not, not virtual, but real lenses of the gospel and the Bible and how that impacts our daily lives. May we not allow this life with its challenges and its good things to distract us from who we are in you and what you say about us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we go to 1 Peter 1, uh, we'll start in verse 1. First of all, we see our reality in Jesus can and really should become more real to us than our circumstances. Again, ask yourself, we'll, we'll lay off the whole virtual reality glasses illustration in just a moment, but ask yourself, what's real and what's fake for you? What, what's most important? What's so real that it doesn't, the other stuff doesn't matter? Because if we care most about our relationship with Jesus, all of a sudden our circumstances won't be that big of a deal. But if we care most about our circumstances, that's what's going to be so real to us that we won't care that much about Jesus. 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I love how he introduces himself, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I love the fact that Peter, right away, looking at who he is, identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus. What's the first thing we want people to know about us? Now, we're not apostles, I get that, of course. But do we want them to know about our faith? Or maybe our job, our family? Now, those are good things. But what do we want people to know most and first of all about us? He addresses a group of strangers. They were scattered, living in some different places. Thankfully, I believe, carrying the gospel to those places in so many ways. But they were strangers. They, they didn't belong there. 
Where do you belong? It wasn't that they, they belonged in some other earthly city. It was that they belonged in heaven one day, and their true identity rested there. They were going to be strangers on earth, really, no matter where they went. And that's how we should be. This isn't ultimate reality. This is prep for ultimate reality. This is the time where we get to take our ultimate reality in Christ and have it affect how we see everything around us. These people, if they went here, they were going to preach the gospel. If they got scattered there, they were going to preach the gospel. And they were scattered. Uh, Most commentators seem to believe that these were probably not Jews, but Gentile Christians. But either way, these were people who were scattered, most likely by persecution. The book was written probably in 64 AD or so. And... uh, It's believed to be right before Nero's big persecution. So some other persecution going on there, even worse coming, and persecution from around really scattering these people. Are we willing to be scattered if that's what it takes to be a Christian and to follow God? Are we more terrified of losing what we have here? Or are we more terrified of not serving Jesus wherever he takes us? Which would be the bigger deal? Man, we won't evangelize and serve the Lord like these people did there if we aren't doing that here. If you're a parent, is your biggest fear as a parent that your kids would not follow Christ or that they'd move far away? It can be easy to want to hold on to what we have here. And I know it's easy for me to say my kids are six and seven. But I think if we're not careful, all of a sudden it's, man, my kids better stay here. I better be able to stay here, be able to hold on to the comfort. These people couldn't. And they stayed faithful to the Lord in so many ways. And Peter's writing this to encourage them. They were going through that. But a lot of times we're like, no, no, my kids or myself, I've got to keep here. I've got to keep here. My biggest fear, I hope, will be for my girls that they grow up not serving the Lord. Not that God would move them halfway around the state, halfway around the country, or halfway around the world. I'm not saying I want that to happen. But is it circumstances or is it our reality in Jesus that we look at most of all? Man, we get nervous about our churches facing persecution like these people did and maybe losing our privilege of doing what we do inside the building. But we often give up our own right and opportunity to be the church 24-7. These people were willing, wherever they were scattered, they were willing to look through it with eyes of true reality, focused on eternity. Next, we see our reality in Jesus offers grace and peace no matter where we are. It's verse 2. They were, he's describing these people, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now there's a lot, election, foreknowledge, sanctification, a lot of big things, a lot of big doctrine in there that Pastor John's done a great job of preaching. And if, you're, if you want to dig more into those topics, we can find you his uh, DVDs. I'm not diving into that for tonight. But I want to look at this idea of grace and peace. Boy, that's the opposite of what these scattered people were getting from the world around them. But it was constantly available from God. God's supernatural helping power, as I've heard grace defined. God being with them, God's strength, them getting what they didn't deserve, getting better than what they deserved. They knew they had it one day in heaven, but in so many ways they had it here. And he wishes for them peace. Peter wishes grace and peace for them because he knows it's available to them. And it's available to us every day. Dear life, maybe the last week, maybe the last year, is it marked by grace and peace automatically? I got to take time to focus on it. Sometimes I got to spend some time looking at what's really true. 
<laughs> if you watch the news, anybody ever have a graceful, peaceful time watching the news anymore? Tell me how in the world if you do. I don't know. You got some real VR glasses there or something. Maybe that needs to be an app, how to watch the news and still be happy. It like puts a positive twist on all the news stuff. I don't know. Maybe that would work. But, man, you look at the world around you. You look at, at trouble in your own life. It's not easy to have grace and peace. These people, man, that was the last thing they were easily experiencing. But Peter knew it was available. Peter knew grace and peace was possible for them because God is with them and he's with us. Grace and peace because their true identity is in Christ. It's not grace and peace because Peter saying, you know, something like I've shown you, I've been shown by God that your circumstances are about to change. I think their circumstances are about to get worse, but they could have grace and peace. It's not grace and peace because every circumstance is rosy right now. No, he knew that it wasn't. But he wished them grace and peace. And this wasn't just some little, hey, how you doing? Hope you're doing okay. You know, God bless you. Just moving on. Just saying trite little expressions. He knew it was available and possible. It's grace and peace right in the middle of persecution. Grace and peace right where you are. God wants us to experience his grace and his peace no matter what storm is raging around us in our country, in our state, even in your own home or in your own heart. Let's do our part to help with those situations. But boy, we aren't ready to help others until we've experienced God's grace and peace ourselves. I often think of what the right amount of time to spend doing devotions is. Do you ever think about that? Like if I want to be a super Christian, is there like an A-plus Christian that spends this long and an A-minus? And, and if you want to depress yourself on how your devotion life is, ask a bunch of other people how long they read the Bible. I guarantee you, you'll find some people who read like twice as much as you. You'll probably find some people who read less than you. But uh, I, I've never found it in the Bible, read this much or that much. But have you ever read the Bible until your focus for the day got shifted? Have you ever read the Bible until you felt ready, you felt grace and peace, even though your circumstances haven't changed? Have you ever prayed until you had the mind of Christ about that issue? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have you ever prayed until you felt like you got God's perspective, where all of a sudden the circumstances aren't your focus, God is, and all of a sudden you experience that grace and peace in a real way? I'm not saying that always happens in a dramatic way, but it can. It did for me this morning, I'll be honest. It was a special time. My devotions were probably a little extra short this morning. It's not always a set amount of time, but do we spend that time with God? Adjusting our vision. <laughs> if you've ever even used the silly VR glasses, you've got to adjust them just right, or everything's blurry, everything's out of focus, nothing works right. And then if you're anything like me, you take them off, and your eyes probably have to take a little while to adjust. Man, we've been looking at the world, the world, the world, the world, the day, the stress, the, 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 the to-do list, all this stuff, all this stuff. Whenever you spend time with God every day, and I hope you do, do you take time to readjust your focus, readjust your vision? Remember what is most important and what is reality. Next, in verse 3, we see that our reality in Jesus gives us a new perspective. A new way of looking at things. We've already talked about that some. But verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love how he starts the verse. He's already talked about, you know, election and foreknowledge, really salvation, and you're on your way to heaven, you, you have a relationship with God. But really the response to all of it right in the midst of being scattered, persecution, is to bless God, to lift him up. Boy, our desire should be to live to bring God glory as well. 
He gives us abundant mercy. He gives us a guaranteed lively hope because of Jesus' resurrection. But man, no matter what, let's use whatever happens here to say, wow, reality is, God, you are the one who I need to lift up in my life. You are the one that everybody who I'm maybe upset with or everybody that hurt me, everything that's going on, everybody needs you. And let's lift him up. Let's be a blessing to God and help others to bless God. There's a picture. I don't know which museum it's hanging in. Read the description a couple of times before. But it's of an old bird out mountain shack. All that remains was the chimney, the charred debris of what had been the family's sole possession, burnt to ashes. In front of this destroyed home in the painting stood an old grandfather-looking man dressed in a few rags with a small country boy, a small boy clutching a pair of patched overalls. It was evident the child was crying. Beneath the picture were the words which the artist felt the old man was speaking to the boy. They were simple words, yet they presented a profound theology and philosophy of life. Those words were, hush, child, God ain't dead. They could keep going. With eyes, their physical eyes, all they could see was ruin. Everything they owned burned up, gone, probably before the days of insurance or anything like that even. Their eyes couldn't see any hope, not a bit. You ever been there? Guys can't see any hope. Maybe you're looking at a diagnosis, a bill, a situation. And I think God might be wishing, whispering down, hush, child, I'm not dead. I've got this. And we can adjust our vision. We can get a new perspective. And right in the middle of the worst, we can remember that God's the best and that he's got it. And have you ever noticed, you think of people that their testimony through a situation has meant a lot to you. I bet a lot of them, they went through the worst and still showed that God was the best. Man, I wouldn't have to try hard. I could probably think of three, four, five different people that, mean they went through agony and stayed true to God. We won't take time to share any stories right now, but God has done so much to bless us with an amazing reality in him. Let's do everything we can to bless and honor him, to lift him up and to make him known. He's given us salvation. He gives us purpose. He walks through this life with us. Let's adjust our reality. Remember, not adjust our reality. It's there for us. Let's remember it. Next, in verse 4, our reality in Jesus means the best is yet to come. It's okay if we lose right now. We're on the winning side. Verse 4, this isn't even about winning or losing. This is about what's waiting for us. This is exciting. It says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I like this kind of inheritance. Don't answer this, none of my business, but have you ever looked at an inheritance or maybe been about to receive an inheritance and it didn't work out very well? All of a sudden it wasn't Uncle Jim didn't leave you as much as you thought or again, maybe, maybe even you know, a parent or maybe someone intentionally uh, left you out of a will, I don't know. Earthly inheritances, they don't tend to work out as well. And frankly, one of your close loved ones had to pass for you to receive an inheritance. It's not a good situation. But this inheritance waiting for us, it's incorruptible. Money can't ruin it. Money can ruin us, but nothing can ruin this, what we have waiting for us in heaven. It's undefiled. Man, money can turn so many good things bad for us if we get under its influence. But heaven is the perfect inheritance to look forward to. Fadeth not away. Man, money can grow wings. It can fade away. Some people, the worst day of their lives is when they got a big windfall. Winning the lottery. We're getting a big earthly inheritance. 
and it ruined their life, families' lives. I mean, you can read story after story. You go Google it later if you want to. The worst day of their life, they can look at generations that got ruined the day they won millions, maybe even inherited millions. As we realize the best is yet to come, we can get not focused on these things that can mess us up, the earthly things. We can remember what Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But as the passage continues on, we can lay up treasures in heaven. We can keep our focus, our perspective there, that the best is yet to come. The fact that the best is yet to come can carry us through the worst down here. And if you're going through the best here, you know, really good earthly circumstances, you can celebrate that or remembering the right reality to use that to honor and glorify God. But do you know one of my favorite, verse, favorite words in that verse? Talking about this inheritance, it's the word reserved. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, it's reserved, and God doesn't cancel those reservations. Um, kind of a funny thing. When we were in Texas, we'd been there a few months, and uh, they had always done this fancier teen activity with some of the high schoolers. We'd go to a really nice restaurant. And so we got to go uh, one time to a restaurant in Texas called Texas Day Brazil. It's a Brazilian steakhouse, and it was really good. We didn't even have to pay for it. It was a teen activity. And uh, so we got to go for free. It was it was pretty awesome. Um, I think the bill, it was a small group, about a dozen teens, but it was pricey enough that my credit card company declined to purchase at first when I paid for the group. I had to go out and call them. So, I mean, you know, a little nicer restaurant than I feel like I belong in. We'd been wanting to go, wanting to go, and lo and behold, Short Pump over by Richmond has a Texas Day Brazil. And so Jen and I, a couple months back, got to go, just the two of us, for a little quick getaway um, there around uh, her birthday. And, uh, Got to go to Texas Day Brazil. And when I walk up to this restaurant, I don't feel like I belong. It's too nice for me. I don't feel like I, I should be able to like go in and talk to anybody. I don't feel like I should be able to go in and use their restroom. I don't, I don't belong there. I mean, I'm McDonald's. That's more me. Maybe Cracker Barrel. Maybe on a good day. I mean, I'm, I'm just not fancy. I don't belong there. But we walk in and we had a reservation. And you know what? They sat us. And they let us eat. We, we did pay, I promise. But uh, we, we had a reservation, so I wasn't fearful walking in. It was one occasion where I'm like, hey, Jen, am I wearing, am I dressed up enough for this restaurant? And she said I was. I forget what I wore. But, you know, I felt a little out of place. Man, our inheritance in heaven is reserved. We don't belong there on our own, but our inheritance, our reservation is based on Christ. It's guaranteed. We get to go there not because of us, but because of him. We're not good enough, and we don't have to be. We can look forward to heaven. We can remember that that's reality. We're strangers and pilgrims here. We don't have to fit in. We shouldn't fit in. The best is yet to come, and we've got a guaranteed inheritance, a guaranteed reservation. Next, in verse 5, we see that our reality in Jesus means nothing can keep us away from what Jesus has for us. I've made some plans that people stopped. I've made some plans that I was glad people stopped. You ever have some bad plans? Yeah, we won't go there. But, uh, man, what God has planned for us, nothing can stop it. We don't want to walk away from it. We can miss out on it, but nothing can keep us away from what God has. Verse 5 says, who are kept, I love the word kept, 
who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Really, that verse is talking about how he's going to get us there. We're going to be getting to heaven. But even on the way, God's keeping us. He's guaranteeing that he's got us. He's got our lives. And he's, other verses in scripture make it clear. He's going to make sure that our lives are under his control. He's got a plan. He's got it all under control. Have you ever been a sports fan of a, a, new, of a team with a new coach? And the philosophy of almost every new coach is trust the process. In other words, this year might not be good, but trust the process. Give me a few years. We'll get there. Yeah, Florida's coach is saying that a lot. Now, I'm still trusting the process, but this year wasn't good. So we're, we're hoping for next year. Um, Brother C couldn't make it tonight, but uh, he had the nerve to walk up to me doing the Seminoles chop. He said he wanted to shake my hand of the Florida Seminoles beat us. It was closer than I thought it might be. It was, it was fun, Brother C and I have a good time. But, uh, you know, our coach and many others are saying, trust the process. I think I do with him. His name's Billy Napier. I know I can with God. I don't see everything God is doing. I don't know all the bumps. I don't know all the hiccups. I don't know whatever trials I might have to go through. But I can trust the process. God is using now to make me more like him. And he's going to take me to heaven one day. We're kept. We can trust that process. And then our reality is ready, ready to be revealed in the last time. I love John 14 too. Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. We can trust Jesus to have our place done and ready, just right and on time. That's true for our lives as well. We can trust him in the daily process but boy, I'm a process guy. I like understanding details. I think that's why I enjoy working with technology around here. I enjoy using any ability I have and any knowledge I have to, to further the gospel and, and be a servant of God, absolutely. But I love the meticulous detail. This goes here and that goes there and this level and that and this and that. I enjoy the process, but it's so easy to get caught, caught up in that process. Maybe for you, it's a different work thing. Maybe for you, it's family, and it's the nuts and bolts of Mondays coming and, and details and Christmas, and do I have this present, that present, and focus and details, details, details. Let's not forget what matters most. Let's not forget our real reality. Yes, those things matter, but our ultimate focus needs to be to focus on Jesus. And when we lose battles down here, we need to remember nothing can stop his plan. It's going to happen. We are kept. The, the plan is ready for us. In verse 6, we see our reality in Jesus means rejoicing is always possible. Rejoicing is always possible. Verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. You can be excited. You can have deep joy, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. I love the word season in the Bible. You know exactly how long it means? Neither do I. Some of you looked up, you're like, man, he figured it out. No, it means different times. Your season of trial and difficulty might be a long time and somebody else's might be short. There might be several seasons of difficulty in your life. Maybe not. We don't know exactly how long it is. But even our lives, if our whole live life is kind of this season of difficulty, heaviness, we can still rejoice because we know what's real. We know what's coming. We can rejoice. We can remember the source of our joy even during tough times. And I love how my one college teacher put this. He said, he pictured joy and rejoicing this way. He said, when you come to college 
And Pensacola Christian College, where I had the privilege of attending, their, their college food is pretty good, but it's college food. When y'all ate some, would you, I mean, it's not bad for college food. It's not, I've been to some smaller colleges, and then there's colleges that have like Chick-fil-A. That would be even better. But, you know, it's not bad for college food. But he said, what you do is you get like a taco. And it's a college taco. It's not going to be great. But as you're eating that taco, you remember Mama's tacos back home. Or maybe it's not tacos for you, but whatever. You let that food remind you of Mama's food back home. And you can rejoice in the fact that you've gotten Mama's food and Christmas break or summer break's coming and you can eat Mama's food again. You can rejoice because you know what's coming. Man, no matter what is going on right here, and I know some things we face are a whole lot worse than college food. Tacos weren't great, I'll admit. But uh, man, some of these things are difficult. They're not good, but we can rejoice because we know what's true now and we know what's coming for all of eternity. I think of a season. Some of you, you need this encouragement, I'm sure. This isn't your time of year. We've had a little bit of cold fall weather, and you're bummed because winter is coming. I don't understand you people, I'll be honest. I like winter, but for those of you who need the encouragement, spring is coming. I've seen countdowns on Facebook for how long till spring? Like, I get a countdown till Christmas. That makes sense. But I'm like, when's the first snow? I'm like, how much for a flight to Buffalo, New York, where they got like six, seven feet? I want to go. I mean, bring that snow here. Let's at least get six, seven inches. I love the cold. But for you, maybe it's winter, and you're like, ah, I don't know. But just like spring's coming, or you get to spring and winter's coming, whatever your favorite season is, man, maybe you're in a wintry season of life right now. Some things are difficult. Better is coming. We can rejoice because of what God has. Man, purifying gold, uh, which I believe is mentioned um, in the next verse, actually. Uh, so let me go ahead and read it. Uh, verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. Our reality means good can come from bad. That's our next point, but it really ties in together with all of this. I love this illustration. I've never, I believe it's called smelting. I've never smelted gold where you, you purify it. But uh, you heat it up and you skim off the impurities, heat it up, skim off the impurities. I'd heard this before, but I, I read it again and I had forgotten about it. Apparently, at least back in the day, maybe still today, what they would do is heat it up, purify it, heat it up, purify it, until they could see their reflection clearly in that liquefied gold. Think about that as Jesus allows you to go through some difficulties. Takes off a little more of your rough edges, maybe a little more sin out of your life, makes you a little bit more like him and a little bit more like him. His face can become more and more clearly reflected in your life and mine. It won't ever be perfect. We're never going to look and be just like Jesus until eternity, and even then it'll be infinitely greater than we are. But we can look more and more like our Savior. Man, it can, we can go through some bad times, even some scattering, even persecution, even the storms of life. Boy, that's worth it if it's making us more like Jesus. So maybe you felt like God was kind of taking you through something and you didn't know why. Maybe you didn't know why God was allowing this or life, that in your life right now. Ask him to show you if there's something he's trying to take off so you can look more like Jesus. Ask him if he's trying to get rid of something. Maybe it's not even anything sinful, but just something that's making you look less like Jesus. I know I've seen that in my life time and time again. And then we can remember that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold. 
we're going to look more like Jesus, but our trials matter to Jesus. He loves us. This doesn't have to be our best life now. That philosophy, that book, and then the whole philosophy that's come around it have really ruined American mindsets for so many where they think we've got to fight for our best life now, our best life. No, 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 no. Our best life is then. This is our worst life now. Now, I heard a pastor use that quote, and he pointed out, hey, a lot of times this life isn't too bad. I mean, we're blessed in so many ways. But this is the worst. And so if it gets a little worse right now, that's okay. This is our worst life now. The best is coming. And yet even Christians will try to find this way to make this life everything it can be because they're missing reality. This is a vapor. This is a a little blip compared to eternity. Let's not live for the blip, not live for the vapor. Let's live for eternity. Let's remember that Jesus wants to bring good from bad, and he wants our reality focus to be on what is going to matter for all of our eternity. And lastly, let's look at verses 8 and 9. Our reality in Jesus means faith is more important than sight. Again, we've kind of already talked about it. But so often we've got to read the Bible. We've got to spend time with God, getting our our focus adjusted to where he matters more than what we can see right in front of our physical eyes. Verse 8, whom having not seen, talking about Jesus, he loved, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Maybe we need to spend enough time this week with Jesus that we get to that joy unspeakable and full of glory moment. Hey, you know, again, so often, again, I am so much of a to-do list, process, check off the stuff list kind of guy. I'm like, okay, I've read my chapters, I've read my Bible plan, prayed through my list, I'm done. Have I gotten to this point where I've adjusted my focus, where faith is more important than sight, where I'm experiencing the joy unspeakable and full of glory? Maybe if not, I need to sit back down and read some more, spend some more time with God. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, Peter's really trying to encourage them, give them hope. They're scattered. This is tough that heaven is coming. But really, it's also an encouraging reminder that eternal life started the moment you and I trusted Jesus as our Savior. We're experiencing eternal life right now. (laughs) I'm glad it doesn't always have to be here. And eternity on earth, man, people fight so long for that, trying to live forever here. That's like a horror story. I don't want to live forever here. I'm glad life's eternal, but I'm glad it's in a place where I'm going to not have to, you know, drink down water constantly or cough. Some of you heard me hacking up a lung before. I'm glad God's been good. I haven't been doing that now. And I mean, I'm not dealing with anything bad at all. I mean, there's so much that goes on. I'm glad that eternal life will one day be in heaven. But our relationship with Jesus is something that we can enjoy now. We can experience that now as we focus on the true reality through faith, even more than our sight. But imagine someone going to heaven, seeing Jesus, seeing pearly gates, streets of gold, mansions, angels, everything. And saying, ah, I'll come back to earth instead. Man, it doesn't impress me much. My home back home, that was better. I had a really nice truck. You know. You, you pick the thing. Fishing boat, whatever you want. I mean, you know, on and on and on. Ah, my team's playing. I need to get back down there and watch them. It'd be laughable. I mean, ridiculous. But that's kind of what we do in a way when we ignore Jesus in our daily life and live for temporary reward instead of eternal reward. When we live for temporary things instead of eternal things. Now, it's on a smaller way than the illustration. But at the same time, we can have our eyes 
on eternal things. We can have our eyes on the true reality in Jesus. And we don't have to take them off of that so often. One more football illustration. Bear with me, but I think this is a good one. I've learned, especially in Friday's football game against Florida and Florida State University, that I would rather watch the game than read comments from Florida fans on Facebook. Reading comments from fans of my team. It's depressing. They are mean. Fans are supposed to be, like, supportive a little bit. I don't know. I mean, make one bad play. They're commenting, and I read it, like, 20 minutes later when we made four good plays. I don't know. But I've learned that, man, if I'm reading what people are saying on Facebook with something as simple as my football team, it's depressing. I'd rather watch the real thing. For us, even in the Christian life, there are a lot of naysayers, but there's only one Jesus. Let's be careful which reality we pay more attention to. It's okay if you read post after post after post after news report after comment from your neighbor that Christianity is on the decline, that it's not as popular, that we should stop, that we should keep our religion to ourselves. That's okay because Jesus is with us. That's okay because we're serving Jesus. That's okay because our reality is in heaven one day. Let me end with a silly illustration. I don't think this is true. But back in the day when uh, roads, lines on roads were painted by hand, I heard about one guy who got hired, generous rate, and uh, he went out and painted a good bit of lines. I forget how many miles, let's say 10 miles in one day by hand. The boss was really impressed, said, great, come back tomorrow, I'll pay you again. Next day, he's doing really well, gets, you know, maybe about six, seven miles. Okay, not as much, but still good, come back again. Next day, two or three miles. The boss said, hey, man, you're out here in the, the hot sun. I appreciate what you're doing. But why are, why are your miles of painting going down so much every day? He said, paint bucket keeps getting farther and farther away. <laughs> Obviously, carry the silly paint bucket with you. Hopefully not a true story. Let's be honest, we've all met that person. Yeah. Nobody in this room that I know of, so I'm not looking at anybody, but uh, we probably have. We can laugh, and I really hope that wasn't true. Whew, really, anybody have Thanksgiving dinner with that person? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Man, I I hope not. And that's silly and it's ridiculous and probably just a ridiculous joke. But how often do we struggle more and more through life, accomplish less and less, things get more and more difficult, we're bearing less and less fruit because we're moving farther and farther away from Jesus, caring more and more about things that don't matter for eternity, this fake, almost virtual reality in front of us instead of the true reality in heaven and our true reality in Christ. Let's bring him with us. Let's go the direction he wants. Let's focus on him as we go through that. As often as we need to this week, let's take time for a reality check. Let's pray. God, thank you for everything that you are to us and everything we get to be in you. Thank you for an inheritance and eternity kept for us, reserved for us in heaven one day if we have you as Savior. Pray for anyone in here, maybe this whole message has been sitting there thinking, I want that, but I don't have that, that they'll come to me, come to Pastor John, come to any of us who know you and ask how they can have that relationship with you. That they'll do that even right now or tonight, right after the service ends. I pray that those of us who know you as Savior, that we'll focus on that reality, that that will matter more to us than our circumstances. That will matter what we can see through eyes of faith will matter more to us than what's right in front of our physical eyes because it's what will matter for all of eternity. May you show us how our reality in you should affect everything we see with our eyes. May we see through eyes of faith this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
<coughs> you are dismissed. But if you get a chance, swing downstairs to the Fellowship Hall. Kids are probably just finishing up their practice. And we've got some goodies you can enjoy. Get started with a couple of rounds of game in a bit.